Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Monday, October 31st, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, happy Halloween. Uh, what, are you, what are you dressing up as this year? <laughs> I'm, I'm handing out candy, but I'm not dressing up, Joe. <laughs> well, I'll try not to scare too many kids out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, I, I know it's a, it's a spooky time uh, for, for a lot of people. Uh, the, the World Series Game 3. Uh, gets underway tonight back in Philadelphia for the first time since 2009. Uh, going to be a lot of excitement. They, uh, they're, they're going to, to grease up the, uh, the street poles in Philadelphia so those don't get torn down by the, uh, the rabid fans out there uh, at some point. But uh, the Phillies coming away with a split the first two games uh, of the series in Houston. Uh, they, they couldn't have asked for more uh, down there in, in Houston uh, the, the way that game one went. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Justin Verlander gets staked to a five to nothing lead uh, by the Astros. You figure, you know, that's a lock. But uh, Justin Verlander's track record in the uh, in the World Series is not great. And what the Phillies come back and beat them uh, in the in the eleventh on a JT uh, Realmuto uh, home run. Yeah, uh, a lot of excitement there. Uh, the extra innings win for the the Phillies and and again Justin Verlander I, I you and I were talking before we started recording here uh saw a stat that said if uh if Madison Bumgarner who had who had all that success uh with the with the Giants in in the World Series uh, in their runs uh if he started game 3 and gave up 20 some consecutive home runs he'd still have a lower World Series ERA in his career than Justin Verlander uh, Verlander just just can't seem to to get a win in a World Series game. Yeah, you know, and it, it's free. You know, it's kind of uh, freakish. You know, guys, you know, great pitchers, Hall of Fame pitchers, you know, Hall of Fame players, you know, have the, you know run into those kind of streaks where you know you get to the the games of the sports biggest stage and you don't produce for some reason or another. And uh, you know, maybe Verlander is one of those guys because. Overall, this postseason record is is very very good, but you know, in the World Series, when you got to win it, you know, it, he has not, you know, he has not produced. And uh, he himself said after that game, he goes, "I've just got to do better." And it was interesting. I was watching after the game; they were talking. Uh, you know, Pedro Martinez and a couple different players were breaking down his performance 
and they said, you know, every time Verlander threw a breaking ball, he got hit. But when he when he threw this fastball, you know, which was, you know, 96 to 99 miles an hour, he was okay. But I, I was just wondering, Joe, you know, he's 39, you know, maybe <clears> – <throat> Maybe he's, you know, he doesn't, he can't throw his fastball as much as he did before. Yeah, it's it's almost like you have to to pitch backwards to get to the fastball and uh, and use it effectively. I mean, we we've seen uh, guys who who aren't thirty nine years old, uh, guys like Shane Bieber, who uh, you know their their fastball command is is excellent. It's you know it, it's. Uh, a, a very effective pitch when they need it to be, but you know they they rely on their breaking ball uh, so much. Uh, you know maybe Verlander uh, needs to to sort of take that approach and change things up. Uh, you know pitch backwards to to use that fastball as an out pitch as opposed to 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 a setup pitch to his his breaking ball. Yeah, yeah, you know I mean and he I'm God he's pitched forever so uh, I'm sure he knows that you know Houston. Uh, you know they they've they've done a great job with him since he came over from Detroit. So I I would think if there's adjustments to be made, they'll make them. Yeah, the, the Houston's not uh, not a, not a team that they, there's nothing you're gonna you know learn at this point in the season right now. He 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 pretty much knows what he has to do to, to get back to it. It's just a matter of going out there and executing it. And uh, game two, uh, the Astros appear to have have righted the ship. Uh, Framber Valdez goes out, pitches a, a, a strong outing, uh, not without controversy, I guess, as uh, as uh, people on Twitter watching him and watching his his movements and gesticulations and, you know, his he's uh, quote unquote fidgety on the mound. Uh, they see him touching his wrist, touching his neck, and they assume, uh, you know, oh, maybe he's putting a, a sticky substance on the ball or a foreign substance on the ball. Uh, and it turns out he's, he's been checked, uh, you know, a couple of times and this is just, uh, he was asked about it after the game and, and he says, Hey, this, you know, if I'm able to, to make all these movements and, and just be a distraction for the hitter and he's thinking about, you know, am I putting a, a substance on the ball or something like that? Then, um, you know, that's my advantage. I'm in his head. Uh, it turns out, you know, he's been checked. Uh, they, they don't, uh, they don't think he's, he's doing anything illicit but you know it sure gave twitter enough to talk about during the game uh in game two yeah did uh but and he didn't get a uh you know a james karen check uh head massage by the uh, by the umpires <laughs> so i guess uh you know i guess they 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 think he he got a clean bill of health and uh you know this is gaylord perry 30 years you know ago when when he would go through all the uh you know touch his ear touch his cap you know touch his face touch his neck you know anything you can do to uh, throw a, throw a uh, hitter's bat, uh, you know timing off or get inside his head is fair game in in you know in in this sport yeah and and people are on high alert with the astros anyways with the you know the cheating scandal uh from 2017 2018 so uh, obviously anything is going to be scrutinized a little bit more closely, but you know, just, just being a, a member of the Astros there, another member of the Astros, Martin Maldonado, uh, raised eyebrows when, uh, he was told by major league baseball that he had to stop using the bats that he's been swinging. He was gifted some, uh, some bats from Albert Pujols. And these were, uh, bats that had been, uh, outlawed or, uh, you know, after a rules change, 
uh, back uh, several years ago, uh, almost 10 years ago, I think, uh, the uh, Major League Baseball changed the rules uh, about composite bats um, and, and maple bats, like two-piece wooden bats that uh, were, were more likely to splinter and, and break and, and cause a, a safety issue. Uh, so that those bats were uh, were eliminated, but players like Pujols, who had had contracts with uh, with bat manufacturers, uh, they were grandfathered in, and they were able to to keep those bats. Well, Pujols, who who retired after this year, uh, gifted Maldonado a bunch of these bats, and he was swinging them in in the World Series. And Major League Baseball said, "Uh, uh-uh, that doesn't apply to you. You have to use a a different kind of bat." So. They said it wasn't a competitive advantage; it's a safety issue, uh, and and that's why Maldonado is is not allowed to swing uh, the Pujols bats anymore. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's like uh, what in the NHL in the uh, in the playoffs they always measure the width of, of the <laughs> sticks. You know, if you if you get a wider stick, or you know, if the blade is wider than it's supposed to be. <laughs> well, and any and anything with- a little gamesmanship never hurts. Yeah, and and with those uh, with those bat changes uh, back you know ten years ago, uh, there was a, a the the barrel size was actually uh, decreased. I, I think uh, it was a minimal, like very very minimal uh, decrease in the width of the barrel size. So, you know, there's there's a difference there, but it, it's not like a huge competitive advantage. I can see that, but again, you know, any again any time something like that comes up, and it's a you know a Houston Astros player. They're going to look at it and they're going to scrutinize it a little more because of because of what went on in the past. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, the, the Astros have brought that on themselves. And that's probably a tag that is going to follow them, you know, for the next 20 years, Joe. I mean, it's well, it's just it's just they 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 they've got to own it right now. Well, my favorite uh, over the weekend was uh, Philly's uh, Nick Castellanos after uh, after winning game one and celebrating. He uh he he sort of did a, a mock uh, mimicking of uh, Jose Altuve from uh, what 2019, uh, rounding the bases when uh, he he showed that he wasn't wearing any sort of uh, device. Uh, the controversy at the time was uh, Altuve didn't want his jersey ripped off by his teammates. Uh, the the thought was that he was hiding some sort of wearable technology that tipped him off about uh, pitch selection. And uh, Castellanos sort of mocked that by by taking off uh, his ripping off his jersey and, and showing he didn't have anything to hide. <laughs> I think Aaron Judge did that too, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. either earlier this year, maybe, or right, during. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> baseball players never forget. They're like elephants, man. It's something that shows up, you know, in a spring training game, you know, two years from now that that they do stuff like that. It's. You're right. The baseball players have long memories and, and clubs and teams have long memories as well. Uh, speaking of long memories, uh, blast from the past uh, for the for Cleveland. Uh, you know, uh, Guardians fans will remember uh, Matt Cataro, uh, who was an assistant hitting coach in Cleveland. Uh, I believe he was an assistant to Derek Shelton, uh, but he's also spent time as the um, uh, bench coach under Kevin Cash in uh tampa bay uh he is now the new manager in kansas city so a familiar face uh, across the diamond Uh, by all accounts this is a guy who uh the players love the organizations love and and you know it was only a matter of time before he got uh, a managing 
job, and and now it's in Kansas City, uh, where uh, you know John Sherman, who was associated with Cleveland for for several years, uh, you know it, it, there's there's all sorts of connections there, um, to to have Kataro over there on the bench, and he's got a young core of players in Kansas City uh, that are, are are pretty good looking, uh, you know Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, Brady Singer, uh, just uh, a, a good foundation that he's going to take over. And, uh, you know, don't be surprised if in a few years he's got the Royals competing in the American League Central. Yeah, just uh, it's great news for uh, um, for Matt, for Q. He uh, definitely, uh, you know, has, has made the rounds, the interview rounds the last two or three years, Joe, like you were saying. Any uh, any team that was looking for a manager has, has probably interviewed him. So he's been through the process and he finally, uh, you know, found the, uh, the right connection. So good for him. And uh, I was looking last night when I read that, Joe, and, uh, you know, of the 30 managers in the big leagues. Now you could probably do this with any team I I would imagine, but 11 current managers, you know, have, have connections with, with the Indians, including Frank Kona, you know, who played for Cleveland before, you know, obviously becoming a manager, but, you know, they've either, you know, been associated with as a coach or a front office person or, you know, or, or a player. So it, it, it it's interesting that, you know, you've got uh, that uh, kind of Cleveland, you've got a Cleveland tree with in the front office, but also as a, on the field as, as managers. Yeah, it, it, you talk about that, like coaching trees in the NFL and uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, how there was the uh, was it the one with the 49ers and the 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 West Coast, the Bill Walsh coaching tree, and how it produced so many uh, head coaches in the NFL. Uh, Terry, when you've been around as long and, and been successful as much as as Terry Francona uh, has, you. Uh, you sort of generate, you know, coaches and, and managers or coaches want to come and work under you in sort of an apprenticeship way uh, because they know that they're going to get looked at. And it, you know, that's got to be the one of the reasons why a guy like Chris Valeka comes over uh, and, and comes from Chicago. Uh, and he was getting buzz as a as, as a potential, uh, you know, ma- I don't know, managing, but I'm sure that's a goal of his. He, he probably wants to to level up there, too you know, maybe a year or two under Francona and, and they, they start talking about uh, Valeka, you know, being a, a guy who can move up and, and be a manager. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, you've got, you've got guys, uh, you got Buddy Black in, in uh, Colorado, uh, Tori Lavulo in, in Arizona, Kevin Cash, Booney in, uh, in, with the Yankees, David Bell with Cincinnati, Dave Roberts with the LA, Cora in Boston, Derek Shelton in Pittsburgh and AJ Hinch was in Detroit. He he was a uh, you know kind of uh, signed as a, a minor league free agent with uh, Cleveland way back in I think in two thousand two. Uh, that's uh, that that's a lot of um, uh, you know connections and 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 uh, you know sort of uh, relationships built for sure. So uh, you know interesting to see that and 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 yeah. Uh, just knowing that uh, there's familiar faces across the field there, uh, it it makes it makes those trips. You know, you go to Kansas City what three times a year, or three four times a year, and it, just to see, uh, you know, those relationships, uh, it, it makes it a lot easier for 
the clubs to, to to have to go in there four times a year and, and play each other. It's you know you got something to look forward to. Uh, other thing I look forward to is every year during the winter meetings, uh, they put out the list of the uh, Major League Baseball managers, the 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 uh, the the most handsome manager in baseball, uh, and I think uh, I think Kevin Cash always scores really highly on that list, and and Terry Francona is always uh, you know sort of uh, middle of the road or lower on that list. So uh, just another name, you know, put Katara on that list. Uh, another name for for somebody to to give Tito a hard time when he sees uh, how high he scores on the the list of uh, Major League Baseball's most handsome manager. <laughs> definitely, Joe. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Uh, we uh, we spent part of last week talking and breaking down positions uh, on the the Guardians roster as they head into the offseason. Uh, we wanted to take a look at uh, one of the biggest sources of strength uh, for the club heading into the offseason. And, you know, at, at this time and during spring training uh, last, uh, you know, earlier this year, um, you know, the bullpen was a huge question mark. Uh, it had a lot of talent, we knew, but, uh, you know, it was a lot of inexperience and youth in that uh, in that bullpen. Uh, not a lot of veteran presence. And this year, it turned into a, a big strength for Cleveland, uh, beginning in the back with Emmanuel Class A, but uh, there were guys that emerged and, and settled into roles and became pretty dominant uh, throughout the entire season. Uh, but again, it all started uh, at the beginning of the year by signing and extending Class A and a, a guy who anchored your, your bullpen as pretty much the best closer in baseball. Yeah, Joe, the, the bullpen, uh, the Guardians bullpen was just off the charts this past season. Uh, 43 and 19, 3.05 ERA. Um, they had a Two two oh nine batting average against for for a hundred you know over the course of the season, and uh, you know six what uh, fifty one saves and how I think uh, Class A had forty two of you know forty two saves for the for the regular season, just you know just really a, a really strong strong uh, group of uh, of relievers that uh, you know Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff, and Terry Francona put together. Yeah, and and it it really sort of developed into. I mean, you knew coming in where where I think Tito wanted some of these guys to pitch in what roles, but it was a matter of getting there. I you started the year with Karen Check uh, on the injured list, so uh, you know things had to they had had to sort of scramble to to cover some innings there at, at the beginning. Uh, that's when guys like uh, Trevor Steffen and Eli Morgan stepped in early. Uh, and, and showed uh, what they could do. Uh, Stefan uh, at times was was dominant throughout uh, the early part of the year. His uh, split finger fastball uh, that he uses sort of split finger as a change up sort of pitch, um, and and then his fastball command where he's in the high 90s, uh, he was just excellent throughout, uh, really consistently throughout the year. Yeah, just uh, like you said, like uh, Karen Check really didn't what. He didn't uh, join the, the ball club till July, and uh, in, uh, in in his space, they really had to put Eli Morgan and and Trevor Steffen. Those guys emerged. Brian Shaw, you know, picked up some slack there as well, and uh, but uh, Morgan, he really had the great start, you know. And then uh, he kind of tailed off a little bit. Then in July, when Karinchak uh, came back, he really picked up the, what the seventh, eighth inning. 
and uh, it was Stefan and and in in those late leverage situations, Sam Henkes. You know, they just uh, it was one after another. Joe It was just like they had like all of a sudden they had three or four guys. You know, for the last you know sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, and they ju- they were just dominant. Yeah, they could roll out uh, arm after arm that had you know. 14, 15, 16 inning streaks where they didn't give up runs, where they weren't giving up, you know, hardly any base runners. It was uh, it was almost like a foregone conclusion if you got to the sixth, seventh, eighth inning uh, that, you know, they're, they're, they weren't going to get guys on base. They were they were going to get a lot of strikeouts. Uh, Stefan in particular was was striking out a lot of guys. And at the end of the year, uh, Hent just really came on and was dominant uh, from the left side. And it didn't matter if you were left-handed or right-handed. He was just getting you out one way or another. Yeah, Henkis, uh, what, uh, 3-2, and 2.32 ERA, 72 Ks in 62 innings. Well, look at Karachek, 62 Ks in 39 innings. Uh, Class A, didn't that wasn't really a strikeout pitcher this season per se. 77 in, in 72 and two-thirds. But, uh, you know, like you were saying, uh, Stefan, 82 strikeouts in 63 and two-third innings. You know, th- those were – those are just dominant stats. And, you know, when when they – when the when uh, Shane Bieber always said, you know, he never had a problem handing the ball off to the bullpen, and those are probably four or five reasons why. Yeah, it's uh, – you talk about Shane Bieber always wanting to to finish innings and, and you know, walk off the mound on a, on a high note there. Uh, but when when on occasion uh, there was a, a sticky situation and he did have to hand the ball off, uh, you're right. That was that was what he said every time was he had no problem uh, handing it off because uh, he knew the, the guys were talented enough to get out of whatever situation it was. Um, you, you mentioned Brian Shaw. You mentioned the just the calming influence and the the. Um, the, the leadership that he provided, uh, you know, at the end of the year, he wasn't on the playoff roster. Um, he, he was DFA'd in order to make room at, at the end of the season for uh, Bo Naylor. Uh, what, uh, what do you think the future holds for Brian Shaw? Is there a place for him to maybe come back next year? You know, I asked him uh, after the series ended in New York, after the postseason, the ALDS ended in New York, if he uh, he was going to keep pitching. He goes, you'll see me somewhere. He said he hoped he was back here, but uh, he definitely plans on uh, continuing to pitch. uh, And uh, we'll see what happens. You know, I don't know. Is the third time the charm in (laughs) Cleveland? You know, if I had to bet... I, I would think he'd he'd probably move on and pitch somewhere else. But, you know, you never know. I mean, he's got you know, he really he fits in well here, you know, and to by his own admission didn't pitch that great. You know, he had stretches where he was dominant, but he didn't overall he did he said he didn't pitch that great. He really kind of figured that this that move at the end of the season was coming. But uh, who knows, Joe? I you know, I'd like to see him back. I I think he'd, you know, if if he probably is is not that that dominant, you know, seventh, eighth inning setup guy anymore. But he certainly could uh, lend some experience to it to a to a to a bullpen. Yeah, and he wasn't pitching in a lot of leverage situations. He wasn't pitching. They were using him in games where either they were behind by a lot or in front by a lot, and and needed to uh, to sort of just bridge a few innings there. 
uh, and that's what he's always been able to do is is go out and give you a, a solid inning if if he if he's able to. Um, that I don't know. I I don't see him back on this roster. I think uh, he he gave them what they needed with that that veteran presence this year, and he sort of passed that torch on. And now you know guys that there are going to be guys in the bullpen who studied under him and learned from him, and they can carry on what they know. Uh, to the next group of young guys coming up, uh, Carlos Vargas, a, a name who, a, a guy who, you know, had a cup of coffee, came up, uh, was with the club for a few days. I, I don't believe he made his his debut. Uh, he was he was one of the few guys who didn't make a debut with the uh, <laughs> with the Guardians this year, uh, even though he was on the roster. Uh, but Vargas is a guy, uh, you know, in terms of looking at the future, uh, you know, what who they're able to bring in, what what the the bullpen's going to look like next year. Uh, you had Anthony Ghost, who was uh, injured for uh, the majority of the year. Uh, you know, hurt, hurt his his elbow. Had Tommy John surgery. Uh, you know, the the Guardians are, are trying to do right by him. You can tell that that Terry Francona, um, you know, has a soft spot for him and and wants to make sure that they they do right by Anthony Ghost because of what he went through to get to the major leagues as a pitcher. Um, so who knows where he figures into their plans as well. Uh, so any other you know su- surprises when you look towards the future for this bullpen? Well, I think, you know, uh, I'd like to see a, a healthy Nick Sandlin, Joe. I'd like to see him go wire to wire. We haven't seen that in the last two years. This guy was 5-2 and two with a five, 2.25 ERA in 46 games, uh, 176 batting average against – uh, before you know, he he injured his shoulder, and unfortunately, I think he injured it in the postseason, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'd I'd like to see a full, healthy season from him, uh, and uh, I I think he could really be a a big part of the pen. Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate the way that things ended for for Sandlin, but uh, he did show flashes in there as well. Uh, along with Trevor Steffen, he he put together one of those long stretches, uh, scoreless stretches, uh, and you know, with an with an innings streak there uh, during the season. Uh, you know, a lot to to look forward to uh, with him. We saw a guy a guy like Cody Morris who was in the bullpen for for time uh, for a time this this year, but uh, we really don't think that he projects as a as a reliever uh, for this club. And, you know, even a guy like Eli Morgan, who has starting experience, I don't I don't know if his future might be, you know, in the rotation as well. Uh, that could open up a couple of spots uh, in the bullpen, uh, you know, at some point. Yeah, uh, Morgan, you know, I, I'm leaning more and more toward him as a reliever, Joe. I think, you know, he had his problems. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but he, he seemed to, you know, come out of it toward the end of the year. He made 50 appearances. You know, one spot start, but, uh, you know, that's a lot of appearances for a guy that just was converting to the bullpen. And, you know, I, so he may have found a home there. So, you know, who knows? You know, I, I, I'm not sure. I know he liked it when he was going well as a reliever. <laughs> and when they hit the kind of hit the skids, I don't know how, 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 well, how much he liked it then. But then, but I think, you know, he, that he may have established himself there. Well, we'll look and see how they uh, they approach him. Maybe when spring training rolls around, if if they start using him uh, in in different ways uh, to to sort of keep him stretched out and 
not 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 necessarily stretched after for starting, but you know, keep him built up so that he can pitch, you know, 50 times in a year and not sort of run into that wall. Uh, Tito said he'd be the first to admit at the end of the year, you know, that he probably used Eli uh, a little bit too much early on, and that might have led to some of his uh, less than effective uh, outings later on in the year. So, uh, but in general, as a whole. You've got, uh, you know, the the most dominant closer in the league from this last year. We're expecting uh, uh, Class A to win the the reliever of the year in the American League uh, award, uh, along with Edwin Diaz. I think Diaz gets uh, maybe a little bit more credit than he should, even though he had an excellent season. Uh, I think if you're looking at the two, Class A was by far the, the you know, the, the better pitcher uh, this year. Um uh, so postseason accolades, I think he, he'll, he'll maybe garner a little bit of a a little bit of consideration in the Cy Young uh, voting. At least he should. But, uh, you know, I don't think he wins a, a Cy Young award there. Um, but uh, just in general, uh, you know, dominant season for Class A and, you know, the future is bright for Cleveland's bullpen uh, heading into next season. Yeah, Class A, Joe. Look at the look at his numbers. Seventy-seven appearances for a closer. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of appearances. I mean, he goes seventy-two and two-third innings. The opposition hits one sixty-seven against him. Uh, you know, and this was you know he 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 this year he found out he doesn't have to strike out people. He can you know induce early contact with the slider and and the cutter and uh, you know he can you know he's really precise uh you know uh outings you know where he's not throwing a lot of pitches but 77 appearances that's a ton of appearances yeah it it seems like every year uh another light bulb goes off for Emmanuel Classe uh last year it was the efficiency uh like Tito said every time he would get up and prepare you know, he knew he didn't need a lot of warm up pitches to, to go out to, to get ready. Uh, and he, like you said, his his outings were, you know, 10, maybe 12 pitches total. Uh, he'd come in and, and give you that inning. Uh, now you combine that with, uh, you know, knowing how to pitch, maybe a little bit pitch to contact. Uh, you, you throw 100 mile an hour sinkers. It, it, you, you can break bats and get weak contact and, and get out of a, a, an inning, get out of a game. Uh, the only thing that pops up there is, you know, every once in a while, if you let them put the ball in play, some weird things happen, and and you get games that end with uh, Emmanuel Classe uh, running down to first base and and tagging the base ahead of the runner, and you know, having to go to replay to to get a a, a walk off <laughs> win that way uh, in Kansas City. But uh, you know, still, I, I I'll take uh, Emmanuel Classe on the mound, closing out games uh, 77 times a a, a year. Uh, I'll take my chances in those games uh, for sure. Definitely. When when you throw as hard as Class A d- does and people, the hitters are making kind of, you know, weak contact, the ball does strange things sometimes. And <laughs> that was one of those plays at Kansas City. All right. All right, Huntington, we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, we will head uh, into game three of the World Series tonight and uh, talk a little bit about that tomorrow here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Mm-hmm.